Welcome back to the Trees and Lines podcast. In this second part of our interview with Dr. Anad Prasad, we discuss climate resilient programs, international efforts in vegetation management, and the importance of biodiversity in the industry. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Did you guys get connected through, you know, hey, there's only five people in this industry that have a PhD, let's have a cocktail party? Or um, was it you know, through research, like how did you guys get connected or was it through some of Phil's philanthropic work in, in, uh, in Belize? Phil's been a mentor for me coming out of grad school and new in the industry. Um, interacting with Phil at the UAA was, um, was, I guess my first interaction with Phil, but knowing his background as well. And Phil, feel free to chime in. I guess we bumped into each other conference after conference. Uh, both of us were oftentimes speakers and Got it. Uh, just known each other for years. For years. Okay. Knowing better now after uh, yeah. last uh, week or a week yeah. or so ago. What is something that you're working on right now that you're super excited about? We are looking at climate resilient programs. Everyone's talking about climate ready, climate resilient, you know. So so what when we look at climate action, which I which which is what I like to call it, um, climate action work really revolves, it's a global phenomenon. Climate is global. And our perspectives, even here in North America, can benefit from the stories um, in frontline areas. And I've been telling that story for the past three years at conferences, um, you know, ranging from Sweden to, to New Mexico. I've been telling the story of what is going on globally. And to help that along, um, we, you know, there has been an informal alliance of, 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 of people, research sites, governments, and, you know, I loosely call it the ITPI or International Tree Performance Initiative, which basically, um, you know, helps people define what am I looking for in the performance of my space, my green space. Um, so it's beyond, it's miles beyond landscaping. It's my, miles beyond. It, it takes risk elements, perform the human initiative and, and brings the human initiative into core focus along with the green elements as well. And I'm excited about that. And that's kind of what took me to Belize with film, that that uh, looking at the human interaction with green and, you know, mitigating for, for disasters and so forth. So the, the Belize project, truly an international effort. So uh, Anon went down, collected data, a group out of Sweden, you can tell us more about that, put together a, a planting plan. Uh, a group out of the states, our industry, went down and helped uh, start developing that. And then Anon's planning on taking it worldwide. So that was a high-end recap. Anon, why don't you tell us the, the yeah, details? Yeah, and Phil mentioned worldwide. So, in, for example, in, in Jaipur, my great-grandfather came out of a village there. And I was fortunate to visit visit that village uh, last year, or this year, rather, this, this summer. And worked with the villagers there. They've been planting trees for hundreds of years, you know. And we talk about tree plantings in Chicago, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. We talk about tree plantings in North America. And we, we focus on street trees. We focus on park trees. We focus on rigid, formal planting programs. Tree planting's been going on all over the world. And when you, and there are lessons in, and when this brings in the cultural part, right? So there are, there are tree planting going on in semi, semi-arid arid regions of Rajasthan, for example, where there's trap for, for, for water. But 
there are certain species that grow there, so the villagers have identified these species, hence the, the tree performance, right? They have identified that these species, these species do well in a dry environment, and they have planted these species, and they have done their tree selection. So when we look at tree selection criteria and we look at the formal numerics and the and the um, and the tenets behind our planting here, it's it's been done. It's been it's going on somewhere else in a different way, but just as but effective. They're realizing canopies there, and and that's what brings the I think the the global village together. Right, um, everybody wants some sort of environmental component to their daily lives. Who do you think globally is um, not just prioritizing it, but making the most headway in terms of a holistic approach to what you just mentioned? Yeah, I see. I see the folks in Europe. Um, you know, they have been for for some time now, being the innovators in some spaces, and they are in in um, and they have been looking at things a little bit before us in terms of um, smart planting. And, and smart planting technology, and I've interacted with you know folks in Sweden, folks in um, in in Italy, and so forth. And their questions have been a good mix of academic and a good mix of industry coming together. And I think that while they have uh, good collaboration there, there are lessons that they are learning, for example, in coastal areas from other parts of the world that they are also incorporating. And I see the European, in Europe, they do reach out a lot to the frontline areas in the Pacific. I run into a lot of researchers from Europe in the Pacific and the Caribbean when I'm out there. And uh, more so than in North America, because they understand that, hey, we can take lessons from here back. So I think I think the, um, that's happening, and I, I, and it's it's ble- it's feathering out into North America now too. So hopefully, but then, but then we we can't leave, you know, the Caribbean, Caricom nations, and and so forth. So the opportunity here is a lot of these uh, folks have the ability to leapfrog, actually leapfrog, and bring their programs up because they are there in these fast changing frontline areas. So they can bring their programs just as e- equal to the ones in in Europe, and the, which is where. You know, this is what, 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 why I like the ITPI, because it can do that. It can be a spaceship to, to sort of transfer the nuggets uh, back and forth. And you're not talking just vegetation for climate purposes, right? A lot of what we talk about is the other benefits. Yeah, habitat, biodiversity. is There's big emphasis on, on biodiversity worldwide. And, you know, and how biodiverse do we have to be to be... Um, to, to be able to, to, to survive in the future. Do we need to get back to what it was 80 years ago, 100 years ago? Do we need to have a resilient plan that, hey, this this is what we want to see and this is what we want to realize? And the latter is what's coming up, you know, more and more. When we talk about rewilding and when we, when we talk about creating habitat for the, an ecosystem approach, more and more and more, we are part of that ecosystem, right? So our cross-club, cropped um, lawns and so forth are gradually giving way to more grow-out areas, pollinator beds and so forth here in North America. But this is something, you know, that we, we see in the island nations and in frontline areas where they don't have as many acres of cross crop lawns. So, you know, they've been doing that forever, it seems. They've been planting edible. We are looking at edible um, fruit, uh, on edible uh, spaces in our ornamental world and um, edible crops and so forth. And they've been doing that, you know, all along there. They plant a tree 
to get shade, but maybe some fruit as well in, in some of the in some of the global areas. And that's something that we can learn from. And in fact, that's some of the stories that we're taking from the Pacific areas back to back to Sweden as well. In in Europe, is is some of the progress a function of like support from governments and coalitions, or is a lot of these initiatives supported by the utility? Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good question, and it's really community based, you know. Um, call to action from people who are who are in touch with their and who are who are in some ways influential on their local media, etc. It's hugely important. So in Europe, you find the model of the community being very powerful, community community based organizations having impetus and reaching the political arena very quickly. There is a mechanism for that. I see a whole lot more than in some of the areas of the world where the communities are, you know, have a have a, a long winding road ahead of them to realize some some initiative. I see, and that's one. I think that's changing now. I think the um, politicians the world over are, are realizing, and I see more of them. I've been, in, you know, I've been invited to to some forums um, whereby, hey, can we can we have you? speak on on the green plan can you can we have you um attach you know can we help you can we can we help you attach some policy to this decision making process so so it's happening in other areas but they are ahead when it comes to that community base and we that's some of what we need here we need to listen to the communities and i think the utilities in north america are doing that really well because you know they are listening to the neighbors they listen to the landholders the the folks who who you know the metro parks the audubon groups the um the eco sensitive agencies and so forth the u s forest service et cetera that own land that abutted there to the right of ways they're they're working more and more in tandem than they would you know the b l m the bureau of land management et cetera we see that interaction with the utilities uh you know a whole lot more so that's 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 a good sign right that is a really good sign yeah that's awesome wow Okay. So how are you using technology in your research? Well, we've seen so much change in recent years. What's available to us? So what are you doing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we are seeing the use of of, um, of technology to get to data faster. And, um, and what we do with the data is really um, um, divergent, you know. You know, we can have 100 people look at the same data set and come up with 100 interpretations. And the challenge is really, for me personally, is getting that artificial intelligent um, product that's human infused. And um, this is something that, you know, I spoke about in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about, um, the, you know, using artificial intelligence in literally a smart way, in a way that we can. And that's the thing about technology is to, we can't just jump on the bandwagon because it's all new and it's glossy and it looks good and it, it gives us the results faster. We want to have that interpretation that is meaningful and can raise, you know, re, re, realize what I'm, what I call an e, a good EROI or economic return on investment, but also an ecological return on investment. So technology, and there's, there, you know, you know, we are we are building satellites, um, you know, as a as a core industry offering. We look at lidar. We are looking at, you know, the way in which we 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 can work smarter and not harder. Maybe put less people physically on the right away. But these are things that 
that we 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 do need to realize needs a needs a balance. So we are never going to, I think, lose the the need for classically trained um, arborists or foresters. This is something that that we're going to have it's to realize. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah, it's a tool, and we're going to need to make sure we have that human hybrid and that human input in there at all times. Doctor Prasad, since you're doing so many things, right? What do you think your you're most known for in the industry? You know, Taj, that's a that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that, so I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean you're like part, you're like, we'll discuss this in part three. <laughs> <laughs> part three. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I see myself. I see myself. I've been, I've been, you know, elected to some roles um, along the way. So I've been president of the Aboriginal Research Education Academy at ISA. I've been chair of the UA Research Academy. I've been um, to your research association. I've been, um, and I currently chair the ISA uh, Science Research Committee. But I see these roles as being um, uh, connected. I see myself as a connector. Coming from the Caribbean, and coming from a very connected place, right? Growing up on an island, you are connected, brother. You oh, know yeah. everybody oh, and yeah. everybody. Sure. And, and, yeah. and who you don't know knows you or know your parents. Yeah. So you grow up <laughs> yeah. knowing yeah. that connection and connectivity and networking. So when I tell people loosely, I know about 200 urban foresters, you know, that I can call in the in the North America, and I have about 2,000 people that I know in the business. Um, and I mean, these are people that I can call by the first name and, you know, and they're, you know, some of them are leadership, some of them. But knowing from from boots to like, you know, from the boots to the to the C-suite is important uh, for me. And, and mixing and being able to uh, network, I think, is, is and I and I look for the products um, of the work I do to deliver on that premise that it could at some point, you know, whether it's safety, it shouldn't be just keeping workers safe. It should be the C-suite recognizing that this is a policy we need to implement. So being able to traverse, you know, spherically, I think, I think is, is important to me. And I hope that at the end of the day, that's what I'm known for as a connector. I th- also think of you in relation to Biomechanics Week. Uh, biomechanics has been an area you've been focused on. Yeah, yeah. So this started in Ohio by the, you know a group of folks from the ISA and the Ohio Independent Operators Association got together and and this started and I helped in the group and you know and 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 then um, and then it's uh, mushroomed into um, into during the pandemic people couldn't travel so tree biomechanics you know became a question can we can we can we do it can we do it internationally can we look at it without people you know having to necessarily travel to one location can we do it locally and that's what um you know one of the things that i i look at is um is in influencing uh research groups internationally to start looking at you know their own risk and their own um you know how their trees are behaving on the loads and so forth yeah, when you mentioned your uh, linkage with uh, safety to the C-suite, I think about the work you've been pushing to, you know, link it throughout the world, but local level research. I think that's really intriguing. I don't know if you mentioned this already, but where did you grow up in 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 the Caribbean? In the South, in the South Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago. You're in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. And do you still like? Do you saw a family there? You know, yes. is it? Yeah. Are yeah. You, yeah, back in a few weeks, I'll be there for Christmas. Yeah, and are you are you pretty? You mentioned the island culture. Are you pretty plugged into 
the decision makers uh, on the island, which allows you to do the work that you're doing here in, in North America and the rest of the world, has that allowed you to use the island as also an incubator of testing out things and, you know, trying to contribute to, uh, to the Caribbean? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of the, the work started there, actually. Um, the need to take, you know, information, the need to borrow information from there as well um, has been has been for, foremost, I think. And they, you know, the, one of the first ITPI sites I was thinking about doing it, you know, looking at performance of green spaces was in Trinidad and Tobago. The good news there is that I do have the um, support from the community to the government. So I've been, you know, I've been working with the government there at the highest levels to exact programs and and they have some very historical places they have some parks that go back 200 years there and um and that's and that's been you know it's been it's been a breath of fresh air i think when you have that openness so being able to work around the world but then go back home with the same messages for me it's it's a good it's a good piece of the legacy i want to build you know yeah and has that has your work in trinidad tobago belize has that made it easier for you to work in other caribbean countries or every country has been it has its own complications and it hasn't translated as easily well you, you learn lessons you learn lessons right and, and at the end of the day people are people are all the same and wh- whether you're in europe or you're in the pacific island or wab you know people want what's best for themselves and what's best for their kids everybody at the end of the day and you find that threaded throughout is the Again, I want to get back to the to the connected piece. Is that they read a lot about what's going on elsewhere, and um, and then they they know a lot of folks when they realize how good a job they are doing, right? And that's what that's one of the things that I I try to bring to the table as a connector. You're doing a really good job here. You want to do so and so. You or or maybe you want to do more of this and less of that. And that's and that's always po- the power of positive thinking, right? And helping communities. So I learn. So I I help the communities learn from others, and I help them even it, within themselves take take their game to the next level. Um. So there are lessons everywhere. I like to say, touch. Are you are you mentoring some other? Uh researchers like PhDs like are are there other Dr. Prasad's in the pipeline that are coming up that will be able to kind of build on your work well I I would (laughs) but yeah there are there are several students here you know there are students I'm at the at at here at UF right now and there we have PhD we have a couple of PhD students I'm helping mentor and I've mentored several in the past so I do maintain um, you know connectivity with the academic world and recent PhDs and people in postdocs and, you know, and, um, and I've been, you know, um, able to do some symposium at some graduate schools and that helps. What I found interesting about this conversation and where I think it can continue to go is you touch a lot of different things. Your perspective is quite unique. Um, you are very unique in the fact that you're practitioner slash researcher. You're not just one, you know, my engagement with often, just researchers are how disconnected they can be from the practical realities. And, and it's like, Hey, great idea. I'll see you in 15 years when, when this can actually be implemented. Right. So, um, so I, I do think you're very unique in that way. So I love the fact that you're doing this work and drawing from different parts of the world, not being from this industry uh, or growing up in this industry, 
I think getting a diverse lens with people that are leading ideas in Europe and in Asia and the Caribbean and reincorporating that back into North America is very, very important. Um, because like, as you go from West to East, it's like every state is its own little country with its own set of problems. Right. So like there could be a state in the U S that needs to completely talk to the Caribbean and that's where their focus should be versus. Well, you know, the thing about it, Ted, is there's a lot of North American utilities down in South America, for example, I was in Colombia and, and no names well, but there are trucks there from utilities that are in the Midwest that are down in Colombia doing infrastructure work there on contract. So then their investments made from North America here into in some non in some renewable projects that's going on in other parts of the world. So the some utilities here are sort of looking at extending their portfolio into these developing areas. Because they understand what tourism is and that's and so forth, so I think I think they, they it's not going to be lost. But uh, in in the defense of of this conversation, we we only spoke about three things: green culture. And I talk and I'll, I'll I have a slide, a PowerPoint slide. I'll send that connects everything we talked about. So it's really green culture and technology. Everything that I work on comes from something green, something cultural, and something technology. And in every project, I try to weave. I try to weave the GCT because I don't want to be that person who's trying to pound. It may appear so that you pound a hundred nails in a board and not and not do any one of them through. So my entire my entire legacy is based on the GCT uh, complex. So it's green culture and technology, and um, and I look at ways in which so so you know safety for example in our green industry. A lot of it is cultural, and um, and how can we use technology to be safer? So, so we can draw from the three from the three realms that I work in, and that's kind of you know a lot of the brain thing that I work on is really cultural kind of. It it could distill into some cultural discussions. When it's all said and done for you, right? What will your particular focus and a contribution have been in the green side of this business? It has a lot to do, at the end of the day, with an excess of energy, the needs for energy, the needs for, for human safety, and bring in, bring in an aesthetics, obviously. We want that green space to promote you know, a sense of well-being as well. So when we look at it from an ecosystem perspective, and we look at the green within the confines of ecosystems, the utility right away is an ecosystem. I talk about this on the talk circuit all the time. Um, what we do under the wire influences the edge. Um, and the edge trees, the stability of the edge trees come into play. Hence, you have tree biomechanics. You know, what are we doing here? Our pruning practices on the on the edge, on the edge trees. You know, when we say we used to, you know, we no longer say trim, we say prune. So that tells us that we are raising the bar on, on how we treat green. And in our space, in our right-of-way and in our in energy in, in industry, we really want to reduce and mitigate against trees and green spaces being a conflict. It should be a complement to our energy needs. And that's the goal for me, really, is to find a sweet spot for our green space, whether it's trees or underwire biodiversity material that we want to keep in early succession, quite rightfully so, to be a nexus for us that is no longer a conflict, but it's managed to be a complement to our energy needs. So on that specifically, 
is it a conflict because it is viewed as a uh, a negative impact on power delivery? So because it is the number one cause of outages in the country, the response is a aggressive one rather than one that says, hey, we can still achieve um, you know, stable power delivery while maintaining an eco-friendly community, biodiverse community. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. You know, the work that I know Phil has championed in the right-of-way stewardship council and, and some of these initiatives, is that something, A, you're involved with? Um, like, because that it feels to me like that is one of those things that I've learned about that would set, and there's only like, call it a hand, not a handful, maybe six, seven, eight utilities, Phil? That have gone through eight, that rigor, eight or nine now, I think that are certified. But, but they, it, it sounds like the right of way stewardship council is one that emphasizes that that level of right of way, you know, biodiversity as 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 a key piece to the heartbeat of that initiative. Is that something that you feel is a good um, leverage, you know, for your work and and being able to kind of continue to have utilities buy into that? Yes, I, I think it's a show, it, 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 it showcases the need for it. Um, how much of a leverage, you know, one would hope that it, 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 there is a, a leverage. But, but, um, but, but on the showcase front, um, you know, it's, it used to be if you were a good steward, that was good enough. But it goes beyond, you know, a little bit now to the, the point of, um, what, what are we doing with also an EROI? Um, you know, what is our ecological return on, on the investment? Because we have the monetary component as well. And, and being on a stewardship accreditation, that helps. It's an ROI, right? It sh- shows that you've been able to achieve this much, this much, um, you know, benefits, you know, um, with the, with the money, with the investment, rather not knowing you know, what you're doing, you know, and you, all you can say, you now you have metrics that guide you and, and, and that helps. That helps. Okay. And, and the C part of it, the culture is something I guess we touched on, which is, you know, digging into the why and helping people. It's just part of your adaptive approach. Um, you know, not just hammering people with content, but making sure that they can connect dots so that when they're in a position to make a decision, they're making an informed decision is really, I feel like, the heartbeat of your cultural contribution. Yes, I think so. I think learning to, well, first of all, you know, listen um, and, um, and assimilate, assimilate as many perspectives as you can. Um, helps, helps, you know, the, helps the product at the end of the day. But certainly being able to infuse change, infuse, you know, what's going to come after we talk today. You know, um, into the process is where a certain amount of you know um, understanding that emerging uh, perspectives or emerging nuances are important to incorporate into any you know any to any decision you make today. Well, Doctor Prasad, maybe you can tailor a manual for my nine and four year old son, and we can get them to listen more because I can't figure that out. So, um, no, this was a this was a great. This is a great chat. Um, we could you definitely get the record on. for the longest. I, oh yeah, you, you know, we you, could you just own, keep going. Yeah, we oh, could man. keep going because you've done you've done a lot, and um, it's it's interesting, it's fascinating, and you know I, I'd love to have you back on um, and maybe take 
a piece of one of the conversations, maybe a complete focus on Trinidad, Tobago, and, and maybe we can really do uh, cool. a discussion just entirely on, you know, the Caribbean, the culture, yeah. your home country, um, and some of the more, you know, everybody who listens to this, um, you know, a lot of our conversation is very U.S. centric, very North American centric. So I think it would be pretty fascinating to have an entire episode dedicated to um, Trinidad, Tobago, you know, mm-hmm. place that you came from and, and, and some of those cultural yeah, nuances. Be pretty, I think it'd be, I think it'd be, be pretty great. cool. We should do that. I like yeah, that. I got a we lot of, yeah, I got a lot of that. I get a lot of that from Europe. A lot of like when I spoke, I was in, I, I spoke at the um, ISA National in Sweden, in Malmo, Sweden. And at that, I had Norwegian, Finland, and, and Swedish and French French people were really intrigued and wanted to learn more about it. So I did a separate, as you said, I did a separate Caribbean talk for them, for the folks there. And they, they lapped it up because, because people in the developed world want to know that, hey, I could plant a tree somewhere else so I can help in a land mitigation effort somewhere, somewhere else. And besides, I don't see why my government does not give you all some money to do that. As part of our, you know, global remediation, you know, because we, we we have done what we could do here and we have filled the bucket. Well, why don't we give Belize some money? Let's give so that so Belize falls into the CARICOM plan really. And I've talked to the the Minister of Growth at um and in the Belize at Balmopan Belize and also trying to bring so I'm actually bringing the two ministers together, one from Trinidad to make one from Belize. I'm trying to brand new both of them, so I'm trying to bring both of them together, have a conversation. And that's where that's where the connector part I think plays a role, right, Taj? Um, so yeah, no, I agreed. So let's. No, I, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll put it on the docket and we'll get uh, we'll get that going as well. Yeah, so we this could is call Carry come green, Pacific Islands green. You know that would be cool. Asian, Asian, Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Okay, all right, we'll talk yep. again. That's it for this episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. Brought to you by Iapetus Infrastructure Services. If you like the show, please give us a rating of five stars on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.